So as we go, continue in the book of Acts, we read together our theme verse. Let us read. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When I send out my daily Bibles, my devotion each day of the week, every once in a while I hear back from people, and one of the things I hear from people is they like my, my personal story. And I, I do this for a couple of reasons. I do this because I think it does help you to, to get to know me a little bit. and makes it more personal. I do this because I want to show how I'm trying to apply the Bible in my own life. I do this to try to show that something that was written over 2,000 years ago still is very relevant and applicable today. I do this to try to help you connect a little deeper with the scripture and apply it to your own life. Because all of our stories are important. We all have a story, and as, as we're allowing the Bible to, to connect with us, as we're interacting with the Word of God, it shapes our story, it guides us in our story, the life that God has given us and the life that we live, hopefully, for God. Last week, we talked about how Paul was an optimist we talked about how he was an optimist because he believed that God could work in and through his life, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And that's why he chose to go to Jerusalem, even though he knew that there was going to be hardship and there's going to be trials there. He still went, went because he was compelled to share the grace and the love of God with those who he believed needed to hear about Jesus, to hear about the gospel, that they could put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. And the chapter ends, if you remember, with him being beaten, and then right before the chapter ends, he says, please, let me speak to them. The people who were beating him, who wanted to get rid of them, who wanted to kill him, he wanted to still speak to them after they had done that to him. And so as we get to chapter 22, we see that Paul is, is speaking to the people. He is giving his defense against their attacks. Now, I've talked before about the importance of our testimony, our story, of sharing our story, of sharing our faith, of sharing the love of Christ with others. And I talk about how there's one really good way to do that. Probably the best way to ever do that is to share what God has done in your life, to share your own personal Story. Again, our story, right? To share our story with others. And the easiest way to do that is to talk about who were you before Christ? Where did you struggle? Where were your trials? Where were your hardships? Where did you feel lost? Where did you feel lonely? Where did you not feel like you belonged or you didn't have purpose? Where were you before you met Jesus Christ? And then you talk about encountering Christ. How did you encounter Christ? Maybe it was in church, in a service. Maybe it was a, with a friend. Maybe it was at a camp. How did you encounter Jesus Christ? And then as you encountered Christ, how did that change your life? How did Christ transform your life? How did God lift you up from your loneliness or your hopelessness? How did God strengthen you? How did God give you a purpose? Talk about what happened in your life when you met Jesus Christ and you accepted him 
as your Savior and your Lord. How have you been changed then by your faith? And finally, how you are still a work in progress. We don't ever want to have anyone think that we're perfect. Oh, I've made it. I, I have nothing left to learn. I have left nothing left to grow in. No, we're, we're a work in progress. We're still struggling. We're still, you know, we have failures. We still have times when we don't, you know, feel the best, right? I'm still struggling. How am I struggling? Paul said it in a really great way. And whenever you see yellow, would you please read with me? Philippians 1.6, Paul says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You are a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. God is always working in our lives. And this is what Paul did in chapter 22 when he gave his testimony. He did kind of follow the outline that I just shared with you. He'd been preaching them about Christ. He had told them how they could not be saved by their works or by the law, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. He made that very clear. And now he speaks. He's angered them. They've beaten him. But he still stands up, and he wants to speak a message to them. And so he starts off by sharing who he was before Jesus Christ. Verses 3 to 5. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. Read with me. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, or back then Christians were called the way, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So here Paul's talking about, this is who I was before I met Christ, right? I was a Jew, I was a Roman citizen. I studied under Gamaliel, which would be like saying, I went to Harvard or to Yale or to Stanford. I had the best education I could have. I was zealous for the law, he said, so much so that I persecuted Christians. And he says all this to establish that he was one to be respected. That he was one who had good standing. But he also said this to show them that he realized that he had lost his way, that he had a misunderstanding, that he really was lost in his way of thinking. And to say to them, you who are in the same place as me, you have kind of lost your way too. And I want, you to, help. I want to help you see that. But then something happened, he says. As I was on my way to Damascus, I was there to, to arrest Christians. And something happened. And we read about it in verses 6 to 14. He continues, about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Remember, Paul's name before he was a Christian was Saul, and then his name was changed to Paul after he became a Christian. Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He replied, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer. 
of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Ooh, I'm going too fast, huh? Receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the Lord God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. Paul talks about how he encountered Christ. This blinding light came upon him and Jesus gave him this declaration, this pronouncement against him. He says, he says you are persecuting me. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, up to this point, Paul thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was upholding the law and blessing God by doing this. He thought this is what he was supposed to do, that the Christians were defiling the law, and he was coming, and he was, he was persecuting them, and he thought, this is a good thing. I'm doing God's work, he thought. But then, as he has this conversation with Jesus, he realizes that his ways are misguided. And he's really sinning against God and what he is doing. And his heart is softened because of Jesus' words to him. We too, when we come to know Jesus, we must allow our hearts to be softened so that the Holy Spirit can work in us and help us to see the wrongs we have done and help us to see that we need Jesus in the midst of those wrongs. We need to know that we've sinned against God. Read with me the yellow Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 51.4, he talks about God. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. We need to understand that our sin is against the holy God and that our sin takes us away from being able to be in relationship in the presence of the very God who created us, the very God who loves us. And it keeps us from becoming the people that God created us to be. Paul then shares how he has changed when he accepts Christ, how his life is transformed. Now, of course, we know that even after that initial, initial transformation, every day and every week and every month and every year, Christ was continually transforming him. Remember back to Philippians 1.6 that we, that we read, that, that God is at work in my life every day until the completion of time. But right here, he talks about the, the initial change as he continues to give his testimony. And he, we read this in verses 16 to 20. Paul says, and now, or Jesus um, is saying to him, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Remember, these are words that he's telling the, the people in Jerusalem now. He's, he's given his testimony. He's talking about this experience he's had with Christ. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed... I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul is giving his testimony, how his thinking has changed. He talks about that he was baptized. He talks about how when he was baptized, 
He felt his sin washed away. Even the guilt he felt of approving the killing of Stephen, he felt that washed away. He felt cleansed. It was removed. He didn't feel that guilt anymore. He's talking about what Jesus has done for him after he has received Jesus as his Savior and Lord. You can hear this powerful testimony going out, the story, Paul telling his own life story to the people. He's just not talking about theology. He's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about his own personal story, how God has encountered him because of his accepting Christ. Now he is now living as a Christ follower. See, when we accept Christ as our Lord and our Savior, God begins to give us a direction. He gives us a path. He helps us to understand that we have purpose. We have meaning to this life. There's a reason why we've been created. There's a reason why we are here now. There are things that God wants us to do that only you can do. God has called you. God has chosen you for a meaningful and purposeful and wonderful life that he has created for you. Then Paul gives a direction of what he was called to do for the Lord. We read that in 15 and 21. Read the yellow with me. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So we know as we've been going through the book of Acts that Paul was talking to the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are all those who are not Jews. But specifically, he was called to go to the Gentiles. He was the first person who was given this call to take the message beyond the Jews to the Gentiles so that all could hear about Jesus and that all who received Jesus could be saved. As we've been reading in Acts 1.8, we are called to be witnesses. And here, Paul is told, you are going to be my witness. Be my witness to all people, but specifically to the Gentiles. And it's not going to be an easy call. In fact, it's going to be a difficult call, Paul says. All right, Jesus says to Paul. But Paul, being a faithful follower, says, yes, Lord, I will do whatever you call me to do. See, when we accept Jesus Christ, we begin to, to feel that call. We begin to, first and foremost, receive that call of being witnesses. Now that you know Jesus, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. Other people need to hear. Now that you understood that you were once lost and now you've been found, that you didn't have a purpose and now you have a purpose, don't keep that to yourself. There's so many people that are lost and don't understand that. Share it with others. That's our first call, to be a witness. And then our second call is to go wherever God calls. God has specific purpose for Paul, right? To the Gentiles. For you, it may be your family. It may be your neighborhood. It may be your your workplace. It may be a particular friend. It may be to the inner city. It may be a missionary. Who knows? God has a call. And whatever God calls you to do, he will prepare you. He will prepare you to do it, and you will want to do it. I had so many people, you know, I've been talking to, they're like, well, I don't know that I want to accept Christ. I don't want to go to Africa. Or I don't want to go to Europe. I don't want to go to Vietnam or whatever. I'm afraid God's going to send me far away, and I don't want to go there. And I say to them, first of all, if God wants you to go there, then he'll put the desire in you to go there. And if he doesn't put the desire for you to go there, then he's not going to call you to go there. He's not going to send you somewhere you don't want to go. He's not going to ask you to do something that you're not prepared to do. Does that make sense? God will give you an excitement and a passion. That's how you know what God calls you to do. What is your passion? What do you love? What do you want to do? 
I know there was one church, they had all these small groups based on particular um, likes. So they had like a, a surfing Bible study. Everybody in the Bible study were surfers. And they had a physics Bible study. Everybody in the Bible study were all physicists. I don't think I would have wanted to be in that Bible study. They'd be so far above me, I wouldn't even know what they were talking about, right? But everyone in that Bible study loved it because that was their passion. God will give you a passion for something and then call you to do something. In fact, let me tell you this. The best ministries that happen in the church are ministries where people say, oh, you know what? I have a passion for this. I'd really like to see this happen. I'd really like to see people, these kind of people reached. And then that person starts a ministry and starts ministering to people that they have a passion for. And they are so enthused by that ministry. And the church is blessed, and people that come into that ministry are blessed. What are you passionate about? That's going to be where God is calling you to serve him. One of the best ways to be a witness, as I shared before, is sharing your story. And if you go back to point one in the outline, you'll see how I just outlined everything that I talked about, how you can share those different aspects of before you knew Christ and how you came to know Christ and, and so forth. So I encourage you to keep that outline and keep it in a place where you can look at it, maybe think through it, and think through your own story. How do I tell my story about coming to know Jesus? But being a witness is more than just telling someone. It's actually living it. Because if you don't live your life as a follower of Christ and you try to tell people about Jesus, there's going to be a disconnect there. And actually, you're going to do a negative service towards the gospel. I uh, came across a, a minister colleague's blog. His name is uh, Mateen Elas. He has a ministry to reaching out to Muslims. And he talks about how Muslims are misguided and why they're misguided. And he talks about how we can share the truth of Christ with Muslims. And in his blog, he talks about this particular blog I came across about him coming across an ex-Muslim who left his country and left his religion and began to go to a Christian church in the experience he had there. So I want to read for you this blog because it's really a powerful story. And so think about this in terms of the concept of witness. So the, the ex-Muslim's name is Ali and Mateen is um, interacting with him. He says, Ali is a mature man who came to the U.S. in 1994 seeking a better life. He works now for a hotel chain in the D.C. area. I had the pleasure of meeting him as his only passenger on a shuttle run from the hotel to the airport. As we chatted, I learned that he was born and raised as a Muslim in Iran. Unhappy with the results of an Islamic theocracy, he left after 15 years under the rule of the mullahs. He has now resided in America for almost a quarter century. I asked him, do you still consider yourself a Muslim? He shook his head. Why not? I probed. Look what Islam has done to Iran, he responded. I mentioned to him the statistic I'd learned from Iranian exiles in London that at least 80% of the citizens of Iran today would like to overthrow the religious regime and install a secular government instead. And I asked him if that sounded accurate. Yes, absolutely, he nodded vigorously. He went on to tell me that about a decade ago, he started going to church after learning some things about the Christian faith and the Bible. It had made him hopeful once again about religion. 
Would you call yourself a Christian now, I asked. He shook his head negatively. I don't go anymore. Really, why not? Christians, Muslims, they're all the same, he said. What do you mean? Nobody follows the religion, he said. They act like they believe while they are praying, but the rest of the week they live like they don't believe. The only difference between Christianity and Islam is that Christians don't believe in forcing others to be Christians, but Muslims believe in forcing others to be or stay Muslims. Ah, I said, but of course you can't judge the truth of religion based on the imperfect responses of its people. You need to compare the lives and teachings of Jesus and Muhammad, don't you? That's true, he acknowledged. And Jesus invited people to follow him. Muhammad forced people to become Muslims. But people today, whether Christian or Muslim, are equally bad. Now, this is his thinking, okay? I'm not saying this is correct. I'm saying this is the way he's thinking, okay? Based on his experience of Christians. Ali went on to tell me that while attending church and seeking to find a romantic connection, he was warned by a seemingly pious pastor and lay leaders against sexual impropriety in his motivations. A few years later, he learned that the same pastor had a sexually active teenage daughter who became pregnant. In order to deal with the looming scandal, the man of God had quietly arranged for his daughter to have an abortion. The word had gotten out anyway. Ali was disillusioned by the hypocrisy. He noted also the lying, jealousy, gossip, and quarrelsomeness among church people he got to know apart from Sunday mornings. They seemed so upright and friendly in church services, but like, the he but like heathens during the week. So in conclusion, he told me, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Christian. I believe in God personally, and I pray at home, but I don't go to religious gatherings. With sadness over his experience, and with a bit of trepidation, I revealed to Ali that I had served as a pastor for over 33 years and knew how tightly the tentacles of sin entwine around and within the human heart. But I pleaded with him, don't let the hypocrisy of Christians keep your eyes from focusing on and following Jesus and the gospel. He is the only true standard for life. Ali simply nodded, but didn't say anything in response. And then Mateen concludes with these words in his blog. Later, I mulled over the encounter. My heart sank a second time. What a travesty that when a Muslim became attracted to Jesus, he was dissuaded by the very group, the church, whose central purpose supposedly is to introduce others to Christ. Sadly, all too often it's the case that while people are attracted to the gospel, they are tripped up by the unattractive lives of those representing the gospel. And people think, if this is what the gospel means, it's a waste of time. If Jesus hasn't changed the lives of those preaching it, why would I think he could do anything for me? C.S. Lewis once said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. If even 10% of the world's population had this holiness, would not the whole world be converted and happy before year's end? And so I ask you, as we think about being a witness, it's not just the words we speak, it's the lives we live. 
So does your life, when people see you away from church, is it hypocritical? Or does it draw them to Christ all the more? Do they say the, see the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ? Or do they say, you saying, you know, I'm a Christian, but then they see you sin and live just like the world. We really have to evaluate our lives. Are our lives in line with our words? Can our lives be just as powerful a witness as the words we speak? And can the words we speak be just as powerful of a witness as the lives we live? There really needs to be a connect between the two. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you see how non-Christians judge Jesus and judge Christianity by you and me? So you may be the only Christian they ever meet. And what will their view of Jesus be based on you? That's scary. Maybe a little scary. But you know what? If we go back to the beginning when we say, you know, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> and I'm not perfect in any way. But I love Jesus and I try. And I really want to do what's right. And I really want to live for Jesus. So don't judge Jesus from me. Judge Jesus based on Jesus. And let me tell you about Jesus. And then you can point him to the scriptures and they can see who Jesus is, right? And then you can say, this is who I'm trying to be like. <laughs> and I do it sometimes and I don't do it other times. See, Matthew 5.16, read it with me. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus himself said, if you live like me, if you follow my example, if you are a true Christ follower and really live as I've called you to live, then you will shine your light in a way that shows love and a difference in the world. It will be different than the world. And they'll say, how is it different? How can you be at peace when you're going through a hardship? How can you be calm when you have three kids and all of them are under four, right? <laughs> how can you be strong in the midst of all that beats you down. How can you be like this? And you say, it's Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. Jesus makes me like this. And if you know Jesus, Jesus can help you be like this also. And as we live in this way, we help people to see who Jesus truly is. Let me close with this story. I've told you about Andy. Andy is uh, the person who, remember, he drove several miles to pick me up when I was in high school, and he took me to church, and the church was right by his house. And then he took me home, and then he went back home, and he did this every week. He drove all these miles to get me to church, and it was because of Andy that I became a Christian, or one of the big reasons why I became a Christian. And so that day when I kneeled down by my bed and I asked Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord, Andy was the first person I called. Well, we lost touch with each other, and through Facebook, we became reconnected, and we, we set up a, a time to get together, and I was all excited to see Andy again. I hadn't seen him in a number of years, but I was very disappointed when I got there because instead of being excited to see me and build our relationship again, he tried to get me signed up on this multi-level marketing scheme that he was in, and I realized all he wanted was for me to be in his line so he could make money. You know how those things work, right? The more people you get underneath you, the more money you make. I was so disappointed because it's like, here's someone who I really loved and I cared about. 
and it didn't seem like he really cared about me. As I was thinking about this sermon this week, I was thinking that that's kind of how a lot of non-Christians think about Christians who, who don't live what they preach. And then they tell you about Jesus, but they're not really living it. And people just feel like, oh, you're just trying to check off another person in your line of, uh, this is how many people I've told about Jesus. You don't really care about me. You don't really care about my salvation. You don't care about my life. See, people want to know that you truly care about them. And then secondly, that you care about their eternal destiny and that you want to share Jesus with them because you truly care about them. So I pray that we would be witnesses both in word and in deed. Let's pray.